like the ship was sinking. It felt that's what it felt like to me. And so I thought to myself, I, I have to drive this train. I have to be healthy enough in order to move myself and my kids through this. So I'm going to put myself first. I'm going to do things that make me feel good. And I am going to ask myself what makes me feel good. And I'm going to listen and tap into my gut and do that thing, whatever, however crazy that may sound or whatever crazy thing. If I get goosebumps on my body, I'm going to do it. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Today you'll be listening to a conversation that I'll be having right now with Melissa Pierce. And uh, Melissa is the author, founder, and creator of Filled with Gold, which is a monthly self-care support boxes for widows. And uh, she is going to be sharing her story of how she just became a widow overnight um, from her husband, Dave, who passed away in 2011, and how she went from that to now creating this support for other women that just like herself have lost their husbands. You also have a podcast as well. So we were actually, she also has a podcast. So we were actually talking about that just <laughs> right before. So welcome, Melissa. Well, thanks for having me, Kendra. I, I love your show and I appreciate being here. Oh, I'm grateful that you're here as well. Oh my gosh. And you, you have the best voice. You have the best like radio voice kind of thing. Too. Oh my gosh. Uh, so my mom told me that. So I'm like, okay. But then somebody else told me that as well. So I'm like, okay, my mom has to say that. But somebody else did say that. Uh, yeah, I have a, a good voice for radio. So I'll take it. Yeah. So there you go. That's why you can have the podcast as well. Because <laughs> you've got a good voice. Yeah, because it has to be something that I guess people would be comfortable listening to, mm -hmm. like, if, if I had a really, like, you know, right. something, something that it would be, like, harder for someone to maybe feel as engaged. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's depending on the person that's listening. But anyway, so thank you for being on. And so tell us, where do you live? Let's just chat that party. We're talking uh, Gulf Coast of Oregon. Yes, I live um, in the northern coast of Oregon. So if you know where Portland is, I'm just like right across about an hour and a half's drive um, on the, the coast of Oregon. So, but I am from Portland. I am. Uh, is it, is it near Vancouver, Washington? Uh, Por you near Portland's Vancouver, near Vancouver, Washington, Washington but um, okay. where I live, it's called Manzanita and uh, it's a little tiny town. And so I remarried, I'm a remarried widow and my husband in this life, his name is Sean. We, uh, during the pandemic, we, decided to sell our home in Portland because all the kids are gone. We're empty nesters. We have this big house. And we're like, well, let's just quarantine at our favorite place. And so we decided to just move here temporarily and we'll, we'll just see what 
what happens. And We're just, still yeah, there. yeah. Do you both work from home then? Yeah. You have your podcast, you do mm-hmm. your build with, with uh, gold. And then he also works from home. Yeah, he works from home remote. Perfect. So, yeah, it, it is kind of perfect. But it's funny. It's the it, first time that he and I have ever been um, just the two of us. Because when we came into this marriage, I have two kids from my marriage with Dave. And he had three kids from his previous marriage. And so, you know, we always had kids. And then my mom lived with us for a while. So it's like the first time in our lives, it's just us. It's been it's been uh, interesting. Yeah. So, so how young is the youngest then that of the of the children 21 is, this is the first time you guys are mm-hmm. oh, okay so yeah. just like recently mm-hmm. went off to college and all that yeah oh, wow. yeah okay mm-hmm. so now share then with us then about dave and your how about how you met and a little bit about your life and um and then a little bit about the day that you became a widow and your process then your uh your the tools you used and so forth so what kind of that will be the 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 uh flow of the conversation so uh, you don't mean you don't have to answer it all at once just start with how did you meet Dave oh okay so this is back I was trying to think the year I think it was 93 which dates me a little bit, but um, I was going to school and Dave's sister, Nina, she was one of my classmates and we became really good friends. And at the time I needed a roommate and her brother Dave needed a roommate. And I had met him once before. He was a musician and uh, I met him at one of his concerts. He played bass. And um, at the time I was with a group of gals and one of my friends, Sheila, she's like, you know, had the long legs and the short mini skirt, just really, really beautiful, stunning um, person. And so Dave didn't even look at me. <laughs> he did not even look at me at, when I, when I first met him, he was like looking at my friend, Sheila. I, I would tease him about that. But um, so back to the roommate thing, it's like, okay, I met him once and he's kind of vetted by my friend, Nina. You know, I know he's not, like a serial killer or anything like that. I hope not. She's just, he's her brother. Yeah. You, if anything, you'd go and tell her, right. like, who would you tell me to room with? You would like blame it on right. her. Right. So, um, so we ended up like becoming roommates. I was dating somebody else and he was dating somebody else. So we just, we just needed a roommate situation, but we ended up becoming really good friends and I could see like who he was as a person and also like some of his personal habits like he always put the toilet seat down you know he always put the food away in the fridge and didn't let you know the mayonnaise didn't stay out all night you know so he was just really courteous and kind and he had a really great relationship with his family and his mom and so he's just a good guy you know he's just a really good guy and and but we were friends like for a couple years and then um I started, I developed feelings for him, but I didn't want to mess up the friendship. Um, And then later, as we talked about it, he had the same, we were kind of going through the same thing at the same time, but we had such a great friendship. We didn't want to screw it up. So, um, but then one snowy evening, you know, after a few beers, then, you know, (laughs) it got a thing changed. Things things changed. changed. (laughs) Um, So, and then there was a little angst after that, but we worked it out and uh, we got married in 2000. Yeah. So, so this is how many years after you guys had originally become roommates, did you get married? Seven years. 
Yeah. Oh wow. Yes. But we did live together. Uh, oh, probably ninety-seven. Those for three years. You know, before we got married. We lived as together. a couple. Yeah. Yeah. As mm-hmm. a as a couple. Yeah. But you had already been living as friends, so it's like you. So weird. <laughs> so <laughs> weird. But you know what? You you said something so key that it was like you already knew all these things that a lot of times people want to know prior to meeting someone, or to mm-hmm. marrying someone. Are these things like the toilet seat, the this? Mm-hmm. You already knew right. all these things about him. So that is awesome that 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 arrangement worked out. I hope you thanked Nina. Yes, yeah, Nina. Sorry, yeah. Nina. Right? Nina. Yeah, I am yeah, totally. Yeah, she's my sister-in-law now. So yes, she's part yeah. of the story. Oh, that, yeah. She is part of yeah. the story. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay, so then uh, tell us about your children, and then where did you get? Did you guys live in Portland? Then? We lived in the port, like a suburb of Portland, but yeah, in the Portland yeah. area. And Dave taught uh, math at one of the local high schools so he was a teacher and then i was a paralegal so working for a, a company in portland and um like around two my dad was very sick actually from 99 until 2003 his death and so we as a family like spent a lot of time with my dad like taking care of him and during that time we were like hey we should think about having kids or you know like i was you know, in my 30s, he was in his 30s as well, you know, kind of the TikTok biological clock there. But we were, there's a lot of focus on my dad and his health. And then he died mm-hmm. of a brain tumor in 2003. And after that time, we're like, okay, let's, let's get this kid thing going. And we had fertility issues and did a lot of testing and, um, you know, some other, other things to try and have, have kids. And we just weren't able to do it. Um, I was not able to get pregnant. So we were thinking, well, what is it that we want? We, we want a family. What, is that, what do we want that to look like? And so we decided we wanted to adopt older children. And um, we eventually we ended up adopting our two kids from the Oregon foster care system. And they were five and seven at the time and they're brothers. Two, two I was brothers. Ask yeah. So um, they were five and seven. So this is back in 2005. So, so you became parents of a five and seven year old overnight. Overnight. Like yeah. Him. It was crazy. I mean, there's a lot that. <laughs> that in itself is a. That in itself. Can we just. Can we make sure to bookmark that we can totally dive into that process, even just that as a podcast? Oh, because yeah. that, that I'm sure is a huge transition and life transition just right there. So, okay, go ahead. When when I wrote my book, the first, my book is, um, it's called filled with gold, a widow's story, but the very first story. uh Oh, I, yeah. Your image froze, but I can still hear you. Yeah. Okay. I can can Um, still hear you. It's just the image. Mm -hmm. And I, I can see you now. I think I'm moving around. Um, so the very first page of that book goes, starts at the day I met my kids. And so it's, it's not a linear story. It, it bebops around, but that's, that's the beginning of my story, I feel like. Because um, I don't really remember life before that. It's really crazy, like, once you have kids. Um, but, yeah, so, and it wasn't supposed to be overnight. We had done a lot of work 
like getting, you know, FBI checked and background checked and fingerprinted and trained. And we had to go through counseling and all these great things to just to make sure that you can handle challenging kids because these kids have been through a lot of trauma. And so we did all this, you know, it was three or four months of just intensive work. And we, we were supposed to have like a transition plan. Like we were supposed to meet the kids on a Sunday afternoon and then transition them into our home. Take about three weeks is what they said. The slow transition. And we met them on a, sat, on a Sunday and they wanted to come home with us and meet our dog, Buddy. Because they, they, they're just like, uh, we heard you had a dog. If we want to meet your dog, so we talked to their foster parents and we said, yeah, you know, is that okay? And they're like, sure, because we were already um, certified foster parents at that time. So um, we took them home and they didn't want to leave. So we took them home that night and they didn't leave our house. Like we were not ready. Like we did not have like kid food. We didn't have oh, toothbrushes. My. Goodness. But we so they just like bonded. Yeah. So Buddy is responsible mm -hmm. for them coming yes. overnight and not leaving. Yes. <laughs> well, my youngest in his profile, um, when he was interviewed by one of the social workers, he said all he wanted was a mom and a dad and a dog to lick his face. And so I'm like, I totally melted when I read that. And so when he when they met Buddy, Buddy, yeah, he was the glue. He was the he he solidified the oh. deal. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that brought tears yeah. to my eyes and a dog. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Like, the idea of a family included that of a dog for him, too. That happiness yeah. and that joy included mm -hmm. that. That's beautiful. Yeah. So so now they're grown. Uh, yeah. Now they're grown. <laughs> they're grown. The it's home. crazy. Wow. But that whole time was just That's nuts because I hadn't arranged to take time off work. I had, I didn't have any cereal. Like I remember like going that evening, we put them to bed. We did have beds for them. We put them to bed and then I ran to the store and got like tricks, cereal and toothbrushes and <laughs> kid toothpaste and all that stuff. And yeah, it was just crazy. So that just started that whole whirlwind of boom, I'm a mom overnight. Yeah. This is not like bringing a goldfish home no. and then figuring out what to do. These are two children. The um, Yeah, pretty <laughs> nuts. That's like, wow. Now, the other foster parents were like, they fine. Were they okay with you guys already transitioning that early on for you guys to take yeah, over? Yeah, well, the next day point? we had to contact our caseworker and tell them everything that went on. But at this point, oh. it was like we were already certified. It was happening. Like, we were already the judge had already, you know, chosen process, us. Right. Um, so we just had to work some, work some stuff out and sign papers and all that stuff. But, you know, it was really about their welfare, the kids' welfare yes. and what they wanted and how, and if they felt comfortable there, then they should be there with us. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's wonderful. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome and, uh, okay. So then, Take us then, fast forward to then, 2011. What was your life then? And um, what happened then that um, that you became a widow overnight? Yeah. Um, so we were living in Portland at the time. Uh, but a couple years later, Dave, like I mentioned, he was a teacher. But he was trained as a music educator. 
and he had an opportunity to take a job teaching K through 12 music in Eastern Oregon, which is like four and a half hours away drive. Um, so we took that opportunity. He had family back there. He kind of grew up in that area. And we thought, well, this would be a great place to raise our kids in a smaller community. We have eyes on them. Dave would be on the same campus as them. He would be their teacher and their football coach and their baseball coach and all that stuff. And I was able to work remote at that time. So we, we, we picked up our stuff and we moved to Eastern Oregon. And that was hard for me because it was really remote and isolated for me. It was too small. And I was away from my friends and family and I was working in my home. So I didn't really have an outlet, you know, normally meet people on the job and um, friends that way. So that was difficult for me, but it was also... How old were the boys then? How old they were the boys were at that time? They were seven and nine, I think, when we... Oh, so just yeah, a couple of years later. just a couple later. years later. Yeah. And you had also... So at that at this point then, you had experienced then the grief of your father how many years prior to that then? That was uh, about four four years. Yeah. Four years. Then... then the transition, mm -hmm. which is a huge transition of becoming a mom, that in itself, there's grief components right. of that because it's like you have your life of, you know, even as much as you want it. I always tell people, I, I, you know, the fact of being a mom, I love, but I know I grieved becoming mm -hmm. a mom because I had to grieve the person I was prior to as well being somewhat gone right. for a while I didn't see her for a few years right. <laughs> myself you know so you had gone through that and then a move in which you were then farther from your other family members and so forth too so that also played a part in probably you being feeling right sad there's a grief component there yeah. too probably yeah right? well and the whole momming thing you know when you become a mom overnight it wasn't like I just took to it like a fish to water. It was really hard. You know, I'm, I'm, I have nieces and nephews. And so I, I know what being around kids is like, but these kids had experienced a lot of trauma and it's trauma that I had never experienced in my life. I had a pretty stable childhood and they had certain behaviors and challenges and and I was, I'd be thinking like, I should be able to handle this. Like, I'm a bad mom. I'm like, there was, there was not a lot of um, yeah. like good oh, talk yeah. happening up the in my mommy brain. Guilt. Yeah. yeah. That mommy guilt. I, I remember I did an event one time about that, like a in-home event. I invited some friends and that was the topic. It's like, what is mm -hmm. up with this mommy guilt that we feel like we can't even doing the right thing, we still feel this guilt every yeah. time it's like in there. So I, I can uh, understand that like we never feel like we're doing mm -hmm. our best or doing the best that we yeah. can be. So I can Yeah, it was terrible. That. Wow, like, that is a lot. I, like they would melt down. You know, they would have, things would trigger them. I wouldn't understand what would trigger them. They couldn't really talk about. They would just maybe have memories or a smell or something and be melting down in the middle of Target. And I'd be like, oh, my God, <laughs> like, oh, do oh yeah. I'm doing something wrong or I should be able to manage this situation. And, mm. um, yeah, so I was really hard on myself. That's just kind of my my standard MO is being hard on myself. But um, we were when we were in eastern Oregon, when it was stable, <clears throat> pardon me, and 
Dave was teaching them and it was just a really, things calmed down. It was kind of this calming, it was just the four of us. We were on six acres. We hung out together. We did all the camping, fishing, snow stuff. Um, it was a small environment. It was just kind of a chill time for, for us to be together. And then in 2011, in January, my oldest son was in Portland on a field trip doing a Lego robotics event. And we had gone out to pizza, um, Dave and I and our youngest son with another family. It was a Friday night. Came back and Dave's like, gosh, I just don't feel that good. I feel like I'm coming down with a cold. My chest is kind of, I feel like my chest is congested. So I'm like, oh gosh, here's some Mucinex or here's some cough syrup or whatever. And he kissed me on the cheek and he's like, I'm just going to go to bed. I don't, you know, I don't want to get you sick. So uh, my youngest and I, we pulled out the sofa bed in the living room. We watched a movie. It was the A-Team with Bradley Cooper. I, I like, I remember things very uh, vividly, some things. And the next morning, it was around, I don't even know what time, but it was early. And so I let our dog out and I thought to myself, gosh, he should be up by now. And and normally we would have slept together every, every night. We just, my youngest and I just fell asleep on the sofa bed. And I walk into our room and his leg is out of the, kind of out of the covers. And it's like this really weird shade of like gray. And I look at him, I mean, he, something was wrong. And so I just, I go over to him and I shake him and he's cold. And I um, immediately just start screaming and doing CPR on him. And um, my youngest is then yelling from the living room, mom, mom, what's going on? What's going on? I'm like, don't come back here. Don't come back here. Stay there. And I couldn't find my cell phone and I but I realized I had a landline for my work. So I grabbed that, I called 911, and then they were telling me how to do CPR. I'm like, I know how to do it, I'm doing it, nothing's happening. And um, then they ended up calling my, um, I mean, he was dead, we just determined that. And so they ended up contacting my brother-in-law who was in town and he came up and then it took a while for the paramedics to come up because we had an ice storm that previous night. So it was just me and and my youngest son, and it was just like the worst thing. Like I had to tell him his dad died. He was he was ten at the time, and then I just like crazy things. Like we, he was supposed to coach a basketball game that morning, so I thought, oh, I need to call the other coach so that he knows like why we're not going to be there. It's like just weird stuff that that you do. I, I yeah like the things that you're like thinking like that's like the last thing I right. should think of is contact like but at the same time you're still in that mode of oh let me yeah, yeah the the to-do list that you normally have yeah. and uh and so maybe I wonder if it's a mechanism of like of survival in those yeah. moments of like having some kind of a routine let me call this person to tell them that he's mm-hmm. not going to be and let me let me now go ahead and ask to cancel the credit cards like yeah. stuff that has nothing to do with the emotions i wonder if that's part of that survival uh yeah MO. for sure know. because it was like oh i don't want to inconvenience mm-hmm. these people because dave's not going to be there you know yeah. it was like this weird thing so i i called the coach i told him what happened and he was also a good friend of, of ours. And 
then I'm like, oh, geez, I need to, I need to let my oldest know because like, what if he gets a text or whatever? And my brother and his family were already on their way to go get him. Um, cause they were in Portland. Um, so I had, I tracked down the teacher that he was with and told him. And then, um, then I had to tell my oldest over the phone and it's just, ugh, it was just a nightmare, an absolute nightmare. And so waiting for him to, to drive, you know, the, the four and a half hours over snowy roads with my brother and his family to get to me. And, you know, then the family shows up. And at that point, I, I'm not remembering very much. Like, I'll remember weird things like, oh, SpongeBob was on the TV or so-and-so brought this dish. But, but other than that, it's like really fuzzy. And I didn't sleep. I went probably 48 hours and could not sleep. So after that. Oh, wow. Alyssa. I'm just even thinking not only just of your own emotions during that time, but just the fact of now your children also like what they had mm -hmm. experienced prior to you guys. And now they were going to, they went through this other mm -hmm. loss and trauma as well at a young age. I'm sure they're resilient, very resilient beings uh yeah i mean <laughs> the, so they their birth father died um of a, a, mm -hmm. a due to drug addiction and they were pulled away from the biological mm -hmm. family they have two older siblings and um so there's that piece of it so and i was like who who loses two dads before the age of mm -hmm. you know 14 because they were mm -hmm. 10 and 13 at the time i'm like how does that happen because there was always this thing in my mind that they were golden like at this point this opportunity their lives were going to be the best lives because we were mm -hmm. all together and they were safe and they were taken care of and then then this happened you know it was like how does this does not work mm -hmm. i mean this in my mind this is not mm -hmm. fair to them mm -hmm. you know i'm an adult i can i feel like i can manage my um not manage my emotions, but kind of maybe understand. But as a kid, like, how do you, how do you come to grips with that? I don't know. Right. Yeah, I know that is a lot. And then the fact that then now only, not only you then coming to grips with your own emotion and grief, but then the fact of also now helping them navigate this, um, mm -hmm. this grief um, again, and which has just a different layer of it too, associated with previous, yeah. the yeah. previous loss of their, biological dad. So um, tell us then how you felt then and you're navigating your grief and what tools did you use then to kind of keep afloat? Here you are mm -hmm. in Eastern Oregon, far from your, your family. Did you move? Did you stay? Yeah. Tell us a little bit what, how did you find that support in this process? Yeah, well, um, so like, like, how did I deal with my grief? Well, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't for a while. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was just too, too much, but you know, eventually I got to a place where I had mm -hmm. to, but, um, right thereafter, I, uh, because of the stress, I was having heart, like my heart was skipping beats. So two days after Dave died, I had to go to the hospital and get an EKG and put on a heart monitor and all the kinds of tests like for the next following weeks and they just determined it's just a benign sure you know it's probably 
cortisol and all the everything running through my coursing through my body but that was because I thought oh my god I can't die like (laughs) I can't die Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. I set up you know all the wills I did I went about the business basically by not dealing with like I didn't quite believe that he had died so I just like oh okay well Mm -hmm. I'm gonna contact a lawyer and do all this stuff and and set up all these things and and stop his credit cards and pay off the bills you know I, I was just like business business and I was also working full-time, but I ended up taking a, uh, a stress leave, basically, for five weeks after he died. And at that time, we moved, the week after he died, we moved away from our, the mountain home and into the town where our kids went to school, which is about 15 miles away, and into a house that was not the best house. So then a week later, I moved to another house. It was just like, could you add any more on top of this? Um, but we, we lived there for six months because I wanted the kids to finish out the school year. And then I made the decision to move back to Portland where our support was. So I, we did that. And then um, at that point, it was becoming real that Dave actually was gone and he was not coming back. And he wasn't just on some weird long fishing trip, which I used to lay in my mind. It's like, oh, he's going to walk through the door again. Even though I saw his his body and I performed CPR in, I don't know what my mind was doing. I'm sure it was protecting itself, but it was like, oh, this, that, that didn't happen. Um, but I did, I did start to realize that that was happening. And um, I was trying to soothe myself with and cope with not the best um not the best things like alcohol mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. just running away from my feelings and not talking very kindly to myself and just being really hard on myself. And it, it just was manifesting in just not good ways in my body. So I, I did um, seek the help of a grief counselor, which first time in my life, I've never been in therapy or anything like that, but I, I would, I sh- everybody should go to therapy, I think. Um, but it, she just really made me and helped me understand grief and everything that I was moving through, whether I thought I was crazy or it was not normal. Everything that I was moving through was normal for me. And, and it was a extremely stressful and lonely and overwhelming time for me to be a solo parent and and understand and like like I said I've been very hard on myself so I'd always think well I should be able to do everything I should be able to work full-time and pay the bills and help my kids with homework and help them through their grief you know and you wanted to be Wonder Woman Superwoman yeah and I just I couldn't keep the plates spinning and I wasn't taking care of myself I was not putting myself first as a priority so at that point, I just made a huge decision because things were just like not going well. You know, like my kids, like the ship was sinking. It felt that's what it felt like to me. Mm. And so I thought to myself, I, I have to drive this train. I have to be healthy enough in order to move myself and my kids through this. So I'm going to put myself first. I'm going to do things that make me feel good. And I am going to ask myself what makes me feel good. And I'm going to listen and tap into my gut and do that thing, whatever, however crazy that may sound or whatever crazy thing. If I get goosebumps on my body, I'm going to do it. 
So if it's a book, if it's a lecture, if it's uh, an event or somebody that I need to see, like do energy work on my body. I did a lot of body work, acupuncture, massages, uh, pedicures, you know, anything um, just to move that energy around and out of my body. And that's when things changed. And I mean, that's when I felt like um, whatever comes our way, I can deal with it. Um, and I also quit my job at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So what did you choose to do at that? If you quit without knowing what you were going to do or? I decided, well, I decided you, to go yeah. back to school because I thought, well, I want to be a nurse. Um, you know, I'll move from being a paralegal in the legal field. <laughs> like I'm going to be a nurse. So I thought that's great. To being up. Yeah. Paralegal, paramedic. <laughs> Something, you know, I just wanted to help people. Um, I don't know. That's kind of I don't know. It's a value of mine. I guess I just wanted to do something that I thought was helpful. So I decided to go back to school, which is great because I would be on the same schedule as my kids. We would have the same summer break, the same spring vacation, all that stuff. And um, I just figured I'll I'll work it out. It'll things will work out. Because I was I just couldn't work full time and continue and raise my kids too. I had to really like focus on raising mm -hmm. my kids. So I did that and um, I went to school, but then it just didn't really pan out to be, you know, to, I just wasn't feeling the nursing thing. So those two years were great that I, I was able to work or go to school, hang out with my kids, really be present with them and also have time to take care of me. Uh, but eventually I did go back to work. Um, but yeah, at that time it's like, I need to, it was yeah. like a sabbatical. You took like a sabbatical, really, like of a time to just really focus. And, and like you said, you had not even really dealt into the emotions of your grief. And this was this time that you just used to that, to do that, to take care of you, to move the grief through you um, any way that was possible and to be more present yeah. with the kids. Yeah. Because like I didn't like emotions. I didn't wonderful. like, or, or no, emotions that I thought were negative or I didn't, I just didn't, it's like, I don't want to feel that. And so I'd always push, 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 mm. push that away, push that away. I'm curious, did you push away your emotions after your dad passed away as well? Um, I don't, I mean, it was, I think I was grieving because his was such a long illness. I think I was moving through mm -hmm. all my emotions along with my family at, at, as he is dying. And... Mm -hmm. but for this, it just felt, I just felt very alone. Like this is mm -hmm. like my dad dying was, well, my mom lost her husband. My, my, Your brother yeah, my brother's uh, and I lost her dad. My, the grandkids lost mm -hmm. her. So we kind of did it as a group, but this, mm -hmm. when Dave died, it felt very lonely and alone. And mm -hmm. like, I didn't know anybody who was 44 who had two kids that this, that, you know, there's not, mm -hmm. there weren't a lot of, I, I actually didn't know anybody until I started reaching out and trying to find resources and groups, but it was. Did you find the, did you find the Dougie yes. Center in Portland? Yes. yes. That's how okay. I, I took my kids to the Dougie Center and um, Dougie, that's yeah. where I actually found my grief counselor was, was a recommendation from them. Great organization. I love okay. them. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, the uh, organization that I'm a, a volunteer at here in the Texas area, a lot of the stuff mm -hmm. is mirrored on a lot of the resources that the Dugan yeah. Center offers and uh, a lot of trainings yeah. and things yeah. like that too. So so good that you that there are these type of organizations out there, but I think a lot of us yeah. don't know, right, that they even exist. And I think it's partly, again, because one, we don't talk about it, and the other one, like somebody reached out to me this week saying oh you know my 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 sister uh lost her mother-in-law like I, I i think she may need like to talk to you or something but it's like how do i bring it up like how do i tell someone that there is a resource without it being like offensive so sometimes there are people that may know that there are resources out there but don't know how to even approach someone that's grieving in a way that is not um how do you call that intrusive um kind of or yeah intrusive yeah or yeah like you're kind of uh, yeah so um so how did you find out then about the doggy center well then? so because the boys were in were, were in foster care oh. well they were previous they had actually um gone to Dougie to the Dougie center before we adopted oh, them yeah and I knew about okay. it, I think I can't remember another family member told me about it because it's focused okay. on um helping kids through um mm -hmm. through the loss of of yeah their grief, their grief. so mm -hmm. they had i had already kind of known about that but it's great that it was in portland mm -hmm. but i know that they have even if you don't live in portland you can totally you can access all of their yes. services it if anybody listening to this is like you go to childrengrieve.org and you can see what organizations are offered in your area. That is one of the ways you can find out if by chance it's a child that you've lost. That's one way. Not, sorry, if, it's a, if you have children, if you have lost a member of your family and you need support for yourself and your children, that's one of the ways that you can go on. Um, okay, so now tell us, you start doing this, you mm -hmm. go back to work. When did the idea of writing a book come up? I don't, was it, what came first, the chicken or the egg? The writing the book, the creating your boxes for the subscription box. Tell okay. us that part of this chapter now. This is Well, so the book came first because, you know, as I meet new people and I would just say, they would find out about my story and they'd, or I'd tell them, you know, a little bit of my story. They'd be like, oh my God, you should write a book because I did have a lot of challenges with my oldest son and that's, that's in the book as well. A lot of challenges and I had to make some tough decisions around his care. Um, he's, he's fantastic, but um, mm -hmm. so I'm like, God, should I write a book? Well, I don't feel like I'm a writer, but I don't know. So I ended up getting some help from a, a good friend. And so she and I co-wrote the book together, but um, it was so cathartic just to write down what had transpired in my life, how I moved to a place of hope and all the, mm. the things that kind of got me there, how I moved through it. And because at the time there was not a lot of books or resources out there for young widows who were solo parenting or, or, or widowhood. Like I went to my little local bookstore and there was like the grief section was like, I don't know, 10 inches long. I mean, it was really not, not a lot. So um, they're just, I, I, I think my, my grief section, 
my grief section's longer right. than that now, for sure. All the books <laughs> of other people I've interviewed. Right. Yeah, it's it's more, I think there's more people writing about their experiences and, and self-publishing, publishing their works, which is amazing. Yeah, yeah. But at the time. Yeah, it's become yeah, easier. Yeah. At the time, it was terrible. I'd be like in the middle of the night Googling just anything, widow, young widow, help, you know, help a young widow, some, anything. And I found a couple of organizations that I connected with that were amazing. Camp Widow. I don't know if you've heard of Camp Widow. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I entered. This is the one at San Diego. In, uh... Oh, yes. My, yeah. yeah. My friend Victoria, I think, went to Camp yeah. Widow. Anyway. That yes. was a okay. game changer for me. Um, but I really wanted to write a, a book that I didn't have. You know, like I, it was, I wanted to write something for someone because I didn't have that. So I created an experience that mm -hmm. I didn't have. Um, so I did that in 2017 and I remarried in 2015. I met this awesome, generous, loving man named Sean. Um, and I think Dave had a hand in it, but um, yes. yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <gasps> how, how do you know? Please don't, don't keep me, don't keep me uh, in suspense. I want to know, how did you feel he, he helped you in this <sighs> journey? What did you feel was a guiding force to meet Sean that you knew that Dave was beside you? Well, I, um, a couple things. I saw a psychic, a couple psychics, because uh -huh. I really, like, I wanted to know, like, how Dave died, because it, it's, it's, he just died in his sleep. They don't, it's kind of undetermined. Mm -hmm. They determined it was sleep apnea and, and uh, respiratory illness, but I just, that just didn't feel right to me. So I went to a couple psychics to just mm -hmm. like, hey, can you ask him if he comes through, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. if, if there was anything I could have done, because I always felt like maybe there was something I could have done mm. or, or the fact that right. you didn't sleep next to like all these yeah. things you could have, who would have, mm -hmm. should have, all the things that yeah. come up. Mm -hmm. So, um, the and he when he came in to the first psychic, um, I don't know if your listeners believe in all this, but I do. <clears throat> yeah, that, they, they yeah, it's about, it's about your me. story, and there's gonna be listeners that relate. Yeah. That's that's why I love interviewing people with different stories because everybody will find something in that story that, that relates to them you know it's not just right. one cookie cutter version of it so please share so when he came yeah in the first um he, you know he assured me that like it was just it happened there was nothing I could have done and he's and and I talk to Dave I just I have a conversation with him all the time yeah but um he's mm -hmm. he told the psychic through the psychic that um I would meet somebody and he chose him for me and I would meet him the following summer and that he would be an engineer and like he gave like real specific things and at this point this is i was a year out and i'm like i am not ready for this so whatever uh -huh. <laughs> like i'm not <laughs> even thinking about that and um, i have it recorded it's on a um a recording and so about six months later i decided well you know i i'm young i would like some companionship and i wrote everything out on, on what I wanted in a partnership and in a new partner and how I wanted to feel. I wrote it down, like, I don't know, a list of 80 things. And I put it away in my desk drawer and I'm like, okay, <laughs> like that's, it's out there. Mm -hmm. And 
Message yeah. in the bottle. It's a message yep. in the drawer right it's there. It's right waiting. there. <laughs> and I ended up meeting um, Sean. He was the first guy I ever dated. First, like, and mm-hmm. I just knew, um, like, that mm-hmm. was... And he's an engineer. He's a software engineer. Yeah, I was just gonna say. And we met in in September, right before summer start or summer ended. So I kind of went back to that recording. I'm like, oh my god, like wow. <laughs> because I just I just ask Dave for stuff all the time. It's like, hey, um, it's your turn to parent. <laughs> you know, I know. Like, can you yeah. like and like just be with your kids, be with our kids. Um, one of them's going through a rough time. Can you enter his heart and just be there? Um, so I, t- like, I talk to him all the time and Sean is incredibly confident and, um, he encourages me to talk about Dave. He wants to know more about Dave. We have pictures of him in our house. Like he's part of, I don't know. It's weird. It's hard to explain, but, uh, yeah. No, doesn't, doesn't seem yeah. weird to me. You've heard other widows. You heard of other widow mm-hmm. stories in your podcast, and I'm sure they've yeah. all shared that a lot of times that that's yeah. the case that their their uh their husbands or or even widowers that also or their wives still play a part in that dynamic. It's very different than if it had been a a, a, mm-hmm. a a divorce or something that was like not ended yeah. nice. It's you know it's very yeah different. it's lovely so, it's uh, very well, lovely you. yeah uh, it is yeah. Beautiful. Okay, so then you you write the book in 2017, mm-hmm. and then how did the idea of the because you said okay the book was something that you wrote, thinking of what can I give others mm-hmm. that I didn't have myself, was that the idea then behind the boxes as well the subscription let's give this experience to a woman that is going through yeah. this pain, was yes. that kind of what it yeah, was yeah totally was yeah. I um I received. Have you heard of FabFitFun, that subscription box? Okay, yeah, so yeah. I, I ordered one, and then I forgot I ordered it, you know, because it takes a while to get there. And this was last year, and I was having, like, a really crummy day, and I hear the knock on the door. I look down. There's this box, FabFitFun. And I take it, and I open it up, and I just – my mood just changed. It's like, oh, look at all these cool things I get to, like – put on my face or take a bath with, or, you know, just really take care of myself. And self-care was huge for me in moving, moving through my grief and being able to trust my gut and tap into my intuition and just move forward. And I got to thinking, gosh, if that shifted my mood, just that box sitting on my doorstep, I would have loved to have received this every month when I was you know, moving through that actively grieving and widowhood and parenting and not having five minutes for myself, it kind of forces you to prioritize yourself. So Mm -hmm. I thought, huh, I know nothing about this, but I'm, I think I'm going to start a subscription box business for widows supporting them with their self-care. So there's no excuses. You get this box, you have to open it up because you're curious and there's lovely um, items in there. I've been trying to incorporate a book by um, written by a widow, and um, I think in every every box so far, I've had a book. Uh, well, one I had a self care checklist was which was pretty amazing. And then I have like other self care items, like a something fun to eat, um, you know, any like a bath thing, you know, just anything that feels good and 
and it encourages you to take care of yourself. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's been quite a journey, like diving into something that I knew nothing about, a uh, big learning curve, but I love it. I just, I sent out shipments yesterday and I just imagine whenever I, you know, put everything in my car and take them to the post office, I just imagine I'm just shooting out, you know, into the universe, ending up on somebody's doorstep and changes, just changes them and, and says, hey, you get to take care of yourself. You get to prioritize yourself. Um, and I love shopping for, you know, all the items and I'm always thinking about um, just how exciting it would be for somebody to open this box up and just experience this love. And I also put in a lot of resources. Um, this last box that I did, there's four items that were created by widows. So I'm really mm -hmm. trying to push like widows helping widows. So the books are written by widows. There's um, a course, a widow survival guide course. Um, there's um, just a soap, amazing, beautiful soap created by um, by a widow, Marnie Henderson. So, yeah, that, so I'd really, I'd like to get to a point where everything in the box is that I curate is created by a widow. Wow, yeah. that is amazing. And you know what you mentioned before that one of your values is that of like mm -hmm. service, right? Towards other, like, and so to because that's why you were gonna even go into nursing and so forth before so to know that you are still you know being able to implement your value in this way because of the experience that you lived and bringing that little bit of joy uh to someone's day week mm -hmm. <laughs> you know however long it may last even seconds of joy that is even just um enough when you've gone through so much pain so what a beautiful beautiful uh thing to do in that mm -hmm. cycle you know that you've went through of your own life so share with us then how can people contact you and how can they get a, their hands on your book and i'll make sure to put the website on the show notes but uh, on your book and on the subscription boxes. Oh, yes. I have a question with the subscription box. Can can somebody gift somebody just one, yes. like as a gift to? Or, yeah. Okay. So share mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, I was surprised that about half of the boxes that are ordered are gifts, um, which is amazing. I was thinking more that a widow would purchase it for herself because that's what I would have done. But it's so cool. I'm also having widows purchase it for other widows their widow friends. Um, yes. Yeah, so it could be a one-time box. Um, I also have previous boxes uh, from previous months that are um, at a lower cost point. So yeah, it's, it's a great gift to purchase for somebody or to, to buy for yourself. Um, getting lots of great feedback and it just, I don't know. It, it just feels like that was such a horrible, horrible time in my life. And I was just, mm -hmm. I didn't move through it with a lot of grace and ease. Um, not that it's easy, it could be easy or should be easy, but I just, it could have been easier if I prioritized myself a little earlier than I did. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's my goal. That's my mission is to just encourage other widows to, you know, take care of themselves, you know, and you will move through this. You'll move through this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yes. Okay. So it's filled with gold. Org. Mm -hmm. dot yes. org um, okay filled with 
Yeah. And that's where they can find the subscription mm-hmm. boxes, your book, and any other resources. Yes, that you I also have a link there to my podcast. Um, I still, you know, mm-hmm. because I don't have anything of else course. to do. I'm going to start a podcast. No, no, no. <laughs> Let's do when did you start your podcast? Um, when I started did you start in it? July. So, so yeah, of, of this yes, of this year of twenty twenty one. Yeah, I don't. <laughs> so many of us started because mine's been also since the pandemic, since mm-hmm. March of twenty twenty. Um, I figured, ah, well, people are home. It will be a good time to make sure that interview because they can't say they're not available because they're right. quarantined. Yeah, you don't have to show up in a studio <laughs> anywhere. You just you do it, you know, vir- yeah, virtually. Yeah, I just, I love yeah. stories. Stories really helped move me through because I would hear someone's story, maybe they're two, three years out, 10 years out. And when I was early on in, in my widowhood experience, I'd be thinking to myself, well, if if they can do it, I maybe I can get there, and so mm-hmm. I that's mm-hmm. really important for me to. Um, so it's an interview style. It's like I always have a guest on, and it's also not necessarily widows, but somebody who could be an expert resource or a resource for widows to tap into, whether they have kids or not. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I like I like hearing stories. I like sharing stories and I think that's a really important that that connects us and makes us feel not so alone yeah agreed it's a little brings a little bit of that hope component that you were mm-hmm. talking about before that you you held on to that as as you went on that a little bit of that of mm-hmm. that hope and uh and to hear someone that has been through something else is very different than just um someone that's never experienced it telling you all the hallmark phrases that may come to their mind as much as it's um heartfelt you you know that it's <laughs> they don't truly right. understand because they haven't really truly yeah. been through something like this themselves so uh so yeah you feeling that you um have a something to relate mm-hmm. to another human being in these stories is um i think yeah. important so I think, no, I know that's what I do too. So it's just sharing the story. So I appreciate you so much and for taking the time to sharing your story and for now giving someone else that little bit of hope as well as they're listening to yours. Oh, so thank, thank you, you so much, Kendra. Thank I've you. really had a great time on this podcast and keep doing what you're doing. I love how you're showing up in the world. Yeah. Hey. Same, yeah. same, same. And th- the name of the podcast is also uh, the same. Filled with Gold Widow Podcast. Yeah. Widow Podcast. Okay. Perfect. Can I ask what the Filled oh, yeah. with Gold, how did that come about? The word Filled yeah. with Gold. Yeah. Um, so the Japanese art of Kintsugi. Do you? Okay. Yes. That you fill up the something mm-hmm. broken and you put, make it more beautiful. And then with the little gold kind of, they normally paint yeah. it with gold leaf kind of. Yeah, gold lacquer. Paint. So the piece oh. where maybe lacquer. you would have tossed it because it's broken it's put together by the gold lacquer and it's a more beautiful piece for being broken yeah so that just that imagery i just got goosebumps okay that imagery that imagery means a lot to me and so um yeah filled with gold it it's it's all over yeah it just means yeah so much to me yeah love it all right thank you thank you for sharing that all right appreciate it take care
Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.